Hello and welcome to Volleyball State, a look at college volleyball in six rotations. I'm Jeff Sheldon. And I'm Lincoln Arneal. Nebraska remains undefeated but needs to sweat it out against a pair of teams from the Prairie State. But the Huskers do get a little more breathing room at the top of the Big Ten thanks to one of their Big Ten rivals. Plus, we've got a big upset in the Big 12. The ACC title race looks like it's coming down to the wire. And we have an inside look at Nebraska recruiting with one of the Husker assistant coaches. But first, thanks for following us on social media at Volleyball Pod. That's where you can find us on Twitter. Thanks for emailing the show at VolleyballState at gmail.com, the quickest way to reach us 24-7. And also, we are a proud part of the Podcast House Media Network of shows. You can find all the great Podcast House Media shows online at podcasthousemedia.com. If you want to hit us up individually, you can find me on Twitter at by Jeff Sheldon. And you can find me on Twitter at Lincoln underscore VB. Uh, you can also read all my articles at Huskers Illustrated. And also, I am a voting member of the Volleyball Mags media poll, which comes out Monday morning. So by the time you listen to this, uh, it may already be out. So I'm excited to see how things are going to shake out after the week we had. Where, where do we find your post-match video analysis? Uh, those are on Huskers Illustrated. Post on Huskers Illustrated's homepage, or I tweet them out, or the Huskers Illustrated YouTube account, too. So I try to give a little quick three-minute synopsis of that, some major storylines of uh, each match. Yeah, it's not video breakdown that Lincoln gives after the match. It, you just have to look at him talking about what happened in the match, which, you know, is for some people. Hey, you get a great view of either my uh, living room or uh, whatever whatever arena Nebraska is currently playing <laughs> in. So it's great. It's great. Uh, but yeah, so that's what we, where you can find a reader of our stuff. We got a jam-packed full show. We're going to go extra long today because of our we got some great topics. But uh, we will first recap Nebraska's wins against Northwestern and Illinois from the land of Lincoln. We will then dive deep. We had a great chat with uh, Nebraska assistant coach Jalen Reyes. So we talk recruiting. We talk at the current team and kind of how he approaches everything with the uh, Husker job. So uh, we do that. Then we get Big Ten. There's some big matches to talk and break down there. And we will take a look around the country. What uh, there's more upsets and kind of we're getting down to the wire where are teams shaking out for conference races. Then we will take a very quick look. And we talked a little bit about recruiting rotation five. The number one question that I've gotten all season is how does the scholarship breakdown work? So we'll do a kind of a overview, the best of our knowledge of that and kind of give some shine some light on that. And then, as always, we will wrap up rotation six. We will talk about Nebraska's week ahead against Michigan and Iowa. So that's what we got on the docket. But let's start off like we always do, looking at what Nebraska did. So a pair of four setters, which may be surprising or not, but Nebraska just didn't have its foot on the gas pedal for all three. But let's start with Northwestern. Four four setters that could have been five setters, honestly, both of them. For sure. For sure. I mean, and this was kind of, I mean, after the week that Nebraska had the road trip, out on the East Coast, uh, they played at Penn State. Great environment on Friday night. Then went to Rutgers on Sunday. And as they'll tell you every single time, when you travel to Rutgers, getting out of the Newark airport is always an adventure. Uh, but they get home. Have you eventually. ever flown through Newark? Uh, I did one time. My flight got delayed. I had to stay overnight in some hotel that was nearby, and then get up at about three thirty in the morning to catch like a six a.m. flight. It was awful. Yikes. I, I feel like I did that, but I did that intentionally. I flew into JFK internationally and then I flew out of Newark the next morning. So I, I, I try to limit my exposure in Newark airport, but so Nebraska flew back on Sunday night and then took Monday off and had a quick turnaround to play Northwestern. So was this a trap match, Jeff? Yeah, I think, I think so. You know, coming off, coming off of the, the big win over Penn state, um, you, you were waiting for some matches maybe where Nebraska didn't bring their a game 
And I think Nebraska is lucky that they played both of these matches, both Northwestern and Illinois at home, where maybe it's a little bit more forgiving. But but this match on Wednesday night was a trap match. Nebraska uh, almost lost game one, very easily could have lost it. And um, and then they do lose game two. And so you could have been staring at an 0-2 hole against a Northwestern team that had their best player back, Julia San Giacomo, whose name apparently I've been mispronouncing all season long. Um it did not play in Nebraska's first match against Northwestern out in Evanston, but did play uh, on Wednesday night. You know, you were there, Lincoln. We have the comments here that, that Coach Cook said he thought the, the the team was a little too casual. I thought the crowd seemed a little casual yeah. just watching on TV on Wednesday. It seemed flat. It seemed dead. There was not a lot of juice in that arena, and uh, Nebraska almost got popped for it. Yeah, that, that's one thing that I kind of noticed even on uh, the first set is that just it- the crowd wasn't didn't have the same enthusiastic cheers. I think they were just expecting Nebraska to dominate and walk over. But uh, yeah, it was just a weird environment, and just it was got very quiet during the points. And even after Nebraska had some kills, it was they were golf claps and not really. Kind yeah, it was of, golf you know, claps. Yeah, it was a weird, weird environment. And, and Northwestern, they had a set point to win it. They were up uh, twenty six in game 20, one. Yeah, in game one, twenty six twenty five. So like you said, they could have easily, very easily drop it, but. Uh, Nebraska gets the final three points to win that first that first set, and then they didn't did not win the second set too. And I think they gave up a a, a ten to two run. Nebraska was up thirteen to seven. You, you figure they're going to cruise, but then Northwestern runs back ten to two mm-hmm. run to really kind of um, make it more competitive. And they they were the they were the more aggressive team I thought or, or early on against Nebraska. Well, and when you when Nebraska is is doesn't have the energy, you it always shows up in their in their block and defense, and that's what I've noticed mostly uh, about games one and two. Nebraska had no blocks in the early going. I remember tweeting out something. We were midway through game one, and Nebraska barely had any block touches. Northwestern just kept hitting line. Um, it seemed like Mira Beeson wasn't getting all the way out to the pin to take away that line shot. Julia San Giacomo, the six foot five. Um, outside hitter for Northwestern, who's been their best player all year, but has been battling some knee problems that kept her out of a few matches, was going off. Uh, Northwestern just fooled Nebraska's block, which is kind of a sign of an undisciplined block or a late arriving block when your your hands aren't up and set. And Northwestern just kind of was doing what they wanted to do offensively. Yeah. Nebraska could never put together like three blocks and and go on that eight to two run that puts you in control of a set. Like we've seen so many times. Yeah. I mean, but they were, they were up 10 to four in that second set. but I think they, whether complacency or just didn't bring that consistent energy that really allowed Northwestern to come back in. And, um, but again, Nebraska made a late charge and they were up, uh, they were up 23, 20. Again, you thought Nebraska is going to take care of business, but they do not. Um, like you said, they, they made a couple errors and hit in, hit into the Northwestern block as well too on um, on some points where you thought that Nebraska should put the ball away, but they did not. So um, this is going to be a recurring theme that we will revisit when we talk about the Illinois match too. Nebraska holding leads late in the set and not exactly showing that killer instinct to put their foot on the throat and put it away because the best teams out there, if they're if they're up three, they're going. They want to be try to be up six and then they'd want to try to be up 10 and they want to leave no doubt. And Nebraska just was not able to to put those sets away. We saw it on Wednesday against Northwestern. We see it again on Sunday against Illinois, which is weird because in the big matches against the Penn States, against the Wisconsin, against the other elite teams, Nebraska does have a little more killer instinct. So I think it's maybe a little bit of playing down to their competition or they don't have the same urgency 
that they do against the, I mean, Illinois is a top half team, but Northwestern is not. So maybe they just don't have the same urgency uh, in those, in those close late moments in mm-hmm. some of these types of matches. We'll, we'll get to some of the individual numbers from these matches here in just a second, but uh, let, let's pick it up. It's tied one, one against Northwestern on Wednesday night. Nebraska runs away with game three. Um, they hit four seventeen, and they hold Northwestern to negative. So you think, okay, the lights come on. It's go time. Well, game four, or Northwestern jumps out to an eight to three lead um, and Nebraska needed to kind of, you know, find the urgency again to um, to go on an eight to one run and, and take the lead. Um, Nebraska eventually pulls away late. The Huskers led 13 to 12 and then, and then pulled away from there um, on a 10 to four run. But it, it was, you know, the kind of the first sign of trouble for the weekend. Yeah. And I would say the key difference in that run, I mean, it was a, Laney Choboy was back serving, had served, uh, she served five in a row as part of a 6 0 run. And uh, both uh, Bergen Riley and Andy Jackson had back to back stuffs. Um, or sorry, back to back to back. They had three straight stuffs during It was three straight of, blocks. Three straight blocks. And that really, I felt, energized the crowd, energized Nebraska, and really, I don't know if it demoralized Northwestern, but that was the energy that had not been there mm-hmm. the entire match. So, uh, is the two freshmen that really, I mean, all the freshmen because Troy Bay was serving. Mm-hmm. And after those three straight blocks, she got an ace, which I think that really, that really kind of course corrected Nebraska, got them playing with mm-hmm. a little more focus and really cruised after that. Well, we made mention last week that this is not an elite blocking team that Nebraska has out there. It's not, it's not a, a blocking team that's at the level of like Wisconsin and Penn state. The Huskers had just one block in game one against Northwestern, but they did come alive with a nine and the final two sets and and John Cook made mention of this in his post-match comments too. It, it wasn't just the block, like stuff blocks. It's block touches, which leads to your transition offense. Nebraska only had what 46 digs in four sets. So that's not even 12 digs a set. And to him, that was a real big sign of of a little bit of a lack of energy. So he said he goes in the locker room and the team is kind of patting itself on the back, saying good win. He goes, If you guys have 46 digs in four sets, you're not really playing defense. So keep that in mind. Like this was, you did not cover yourselves in glory. Yeah. And he said that they just lacked focus. And then, and he says, when you're not focused, you're not going after balls. You're kind of playing, I don't know, sleepwalking through it. And the ball will find you if you're doing mm-hmm. that. And there are just so many balls where the, uh, the attacks where the ball would land in the middle of Nebraska's defense. And usually they would have multiple players going for it, laying out getting that dig. And it was just, yeah, the effort was not there on defense. And like you said, those that, that shows up and the digs is probably a good, good uh, stat mm-hmm. to track that. So uh, Merritt Beeson and Harper Murray, both with 13 kills against Northwestern to lead the way. Allie Batenhorst has 10. But really who had a good weekend there this whole week uh, was Nebraska's middle blockers. Uh, yes. Becca Alec had 11 kills and hit 562 and added seven blocks against Northwestern on Wednesday. Andy Jackson had an outstanding weekend starting it off against the Wildcats with eight kills on 600 hitting, and she had yeah. six blocks. And, and you know, Nebraska probably could have set their middles even more um, than they did. I think you, you saw them really pick that up on Sunday against Illinois, but, you know, even Lauren Cook, who's kind of the queen of set the middle every time you can, <laughs> was saying on the radio broadcast, broadcast that, that Nebraska middles could have, could have eaten a little bit more. They just had 26 total swings yeah. on Wednesday night. And um, on a night that the, you know, the pins were not, fantastic the the middles really did well and i think what you're seeing is nebraska really has a pretty balanced offense oh yeah i mean uh you look at andy jackson's both clump in, clump in a little sneak in some of that illinois stat she had 21 swings this entire both matches of the week 
and she was dug twice. I mean, she she had eight kills, <laughs> ten attacks against Northwestern, and the other two were heirs. So uh, they didn't dig her on that. And then she was she had nine kills on eleven swings against uh, Illinois. So she was she was on fire. And uh, I really wanted for a nice symmetry. What's that like a seven hundred weekend kind of? Oh yeah. I, I don't have. I didn't. I couldn't do all the math in my head right there. But like, she's she's hitting about seven hundred this weekend. Oh yeah, I mean, that's fifteen kills on twenty-one attacks. So that's up, that's up there too. And I really mm-hmm. wanted her to get the last kill of the match to get double digits. So uh, that would have been nice, some nice symmetry there too. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that's that's the Northwestern match, and I, it it came over to, to switch ahead and kind of talk about Illinois. I thought Nebraska really came out with a purpose and a little bit more fire and kind of intensity to start the Illinois match too. And I think that mm-hmm. is as a result of kind of their lackluster play. They probably heard about it in practice the last couple of days. Um, and really, I think, set the tone uh, against Illinois. They were up 5-1, and then uh, it was 13-4 to before the, your, mm-hmm. seat was, your seat was even warm. So, Before we dive too deep into the oh. Illinois match, can we mention the thing that happened on late Saturday night that oh. you know might have put a little bit more of a spring in Nebraska's step? And we'll get more into that that match we're, we're alluding to here in the, in the Big Ten roundup rotation. But Nebraska gets a little bit of breathing room at the top of the Big Ten race because Wisconsin who had looked against every team but Nebraska, had looked kind of invincible. You know, when I watched Wisconsin, I feel like they have the biggest ceiling, the highest ceiling maybe in the country, because mm-hmm. when they're on, like, nobody's really touching them when they're playing their best volleyball. And and they go through a match on Wednesday against Maryland where they the team, the entire team over three mm-hmm. sets, commits one hitting error. They hit 500 as a team, but then yeah. they go into Happy Valley on Saturday night and lose in four to Penn State. And so it's Penn or Wisconsin's second Big Ten loss of the year. And it gives Nebraska uh, it gave Nebraska a chance going into Sunday to um to to take a two-game lead in the Big Ten race and kind of for all intents and purposes purposes clinch a share of the Big Ten title because at the end of the show we'll talk about what Nebraska's got coming up next week. But like that was a really that was a huge oh, yeah. deal. And the number of Nebraska fans and media members who were following that Penn State Wisconsin match that I could see on social media on Saturday night was just kind of again shows you how nuts this state is about volleyball. Oh for sure. Yeah. I was uh had a bunch of people re- replying to my update saying I'm a Penn State fan tonight. I am rooting for them. Go Nittany Lions do uh, mm-hmm. the Huskers a solid. So they, uh, it was definitely opened it up. And I don't know if that also gave Nebraska a little extra focus that, Hey, are that big 10 championship that's there for the taking if we mm-hmm. take care of business. So that might've also played into that refocusing of that, uh, of the mm-hmm. Illinois, of the Illinois match as well too. So yeah, Nebraska basically at this point has one hand, maybe a couple fingers on the big 10 trophy to, to break the string of what five championships in a row that Wisconsin has won yes. four five, five. So so Nebraska comes out and, and looks like gangbusters on, in game one on Sunday um, against Illinois. Uh, they don't let Illinois break. Let's see. What's the number? 14. Here? 14 yeah. 14. Yeah. Both. 25, 14, 25, 14, both game uh, one and two. But the, the the big number game one, Nebraska hits 324. And it looks like they're just rocking and rolling. But it doesn't quite well, go like that, does it? Oh, yeah. And I will say, too, also, Illinois, they were they had 10 kills and 15 errors through the first two sets. So it looks like cakewalk nebraska is gonna uh make their way to a sweep but uh illinois really came out refocused that third set and were a lot more aggressive i feel like with the ball and also Raina terry got going a little right. bit too she had four kills in the first two sets uh she had 10 kills in the third set too and uh their offense really picked up they hit 333 in that third set so that's a lot of threes there mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, well, but, and, and Nebraska, I don't know if Nebraska again got they got a little their passing to me got a little bit sloppy, in which then mm-hmm. everything else continued to break down because of that. Well, we should point out that Illinois is one of the best serving teams in the Big Ten. They've oh, yeah. got at least three really tough servers, including their setter, who's a big um jumps jump server, uh top spin server, which makes it really hard. Um, Illinois was was picking on a couple members of uh, Nebraska's uh, passing rotation and getting the Huskers out of system. Um, Illinois was licking their chops to serve Allie Batenhorst, which yeah. which led to a substitution in the match and then some creative adjusting of Nebraska's serve receive pattern late in the yeah. match. And uh, yeah, go ahead, Lincoln. I would say that was their one strength. They 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 uh they had 14 points in the first set. Five of them came off of uh, um, Mosher. Uh, what? Where's her name? Mm-hmm. It's uh, Brooke, Brooke Mosher. She had five points during, and she just were that jump serve and had an ace there too. So she really set the tone. Bainhorse was a large part of the target. She had 12 receptions, uh, four mm-hmm. and four reception errors. So they, they were going after her a little bit. And um, Lexi Rodriguez kind of pushed, pushed mm-hmm. uh, Allie to the side a little bit, took over a little, little bit more of the court to help, help mm-hmm. uh, smooth out some of that. So this was not a match against Illinois where Nebraska's pin hitters had an outstanding day. Uh, Merritt Beeson had 11 kills, but hit just 121. She did add four blocks uh, and they went to her on match point when they when they absolutely needed a kill. So there wasn't a repeat of the game three giveaway um, and Merritt got that. Harper Murray had 10 kills, but hit just 114. Allie Batenhorst had 11 kills and hit 250. So I would say that that's a pretty average match for, for Allie Batenhorst. Harper Murray, though, I mean, we were talking just a minute ago. Uh, seems like she's she's in a little bit of a slump. Nebraska is outstanding freshman outside hitter. Hit 114 today against Illinois. You look back to Wednesday night against Northwestern. She hits 194. And then last weekend against Rutgers, she hit zero. So she had a wonderful match against Penn State last Friday. But in the Huskers last three wins, you know, she hasn't cracked 200 yet. And and I don't know if there's a, you know, one sort of unifying reason for all of this or it's late in the season and she's a freshman and this is when freshmen maybe hit the wall a little bit. But, um, you know, if Nebraska is going to kind of live up to the record they have right now, they, they need the old Harper Murray back. Yeah, uh, I will give Harper Murray credit. This was the first match since number it's first time since the second match of the year where she had more aces than service errors. So she had four aces, mm-hmm. three service errors, which um, that's been one of her big, uh, big Achilles heels this year has been serving. But she had four aces and really looked good from the service line. In fact, Nebraska looked really good. First time all season that they've had more aces than errors. They had 10 mm-hmm. aces, eight errors. So and, I and feel it's like, only. It's only the second time all year Nebraska's had double digit aces. They also yeah. had 10 aces in a match against Michigan State. So Nebraska picked a really good day on a day where their pins are struggling to uh, to have one of their best serving matches of the year. And uh, also it was a match where once again, the middles had an outstanding performance. Yeah. Uh, Becca Alec uh, had a team high 12 kills. I don't know if that's the first time all year Becca has led the team in kills, but she hit be, 474 yeah. um, and added five blocks. Once again, Andy Jackson was outstanding. Nine kills, no errors on 11 swings. That's an 818 hitting percentage. Um, so on the in on the match, if you just look at kill percentage, so take out errors, um, how many kills do you get divided by how many swings? The middles combined for a 70% kill percentage, which you will take out of your middles any day of the week. Yes, for sure. And that's what we talked we talked about with Coach Cook too. I mean, oh hey, look, you had a great offensive distribution. Everyone, all your five attackers had between nine and twelve kills. That's great balance. No, it, it was not great balance because uh, those hitting percentages of the pin hitters was a little bit subdued. So uh, it's a good job, but the middles are performing well with their swings. I mean, uh, Becca Alec only got 19 attacks and he had 11, but all of the uh, pin hitters had anywhere from 28 to 35. So just 
a lack mm-hmm. of termination. On the other side, Raina Terry really stepped up. She finished with 20 kills on 54 swings, yeah. and 16 of those came in the third and fourth. So when Illinois needed her, I feel I don't know if they decided we're not going to mess around. We're just going to Terry yeah. on the pin and kind of uh, do that. I mean, Illinois did struggle. They hit 109 as a team. Yeah. After the first struggles, the first two sets, that's okay. Well, Raina Terry feels like she's been at Illinois for seven years now. I mean, she started <laughs> as a freshman. She is a volume hitter. So her efficiencies are never going to be that high, but kind of like a Jess Marzik or a Emily Londot. She's really the only player on Illinois that scares you. And mm-hmm. you saw this afternoon why. Um, let's go to a couple of the, the key points of the match. Nebraska had two match points to sweep this thing in game three. They were leading 23-21. Uh, I believe I have it um, in, in game three. Well, they Nebraska's just start struggling to put a ball away. They give away the next two points tied at 23, 23. And that's when Illinois goes to Raina Terry, who gets the final two kills of, um, of game three, Illinois takes it uh, 25, 23. Do I have the scoring, right? I'm not, looking you're right off by me. one the whole I'm time. I'm off by one. Okay. So yeah, uh, it was, it was 24, 24, 26, 22, 24, 22, that's right. the two, the two airs by, uh, um, uh, Barbridge had a kill. Riley got called for a set air, and then Terry kill. Terry kill. Yeah, she had a couple of those. She had a couple ball handling errors, I think, uh, yeah. today, which is not very characteristic of of uh, Bergen Riley. So Terry finishes with twenty kills uh, on fifty four swings. She was, you know, that woman for Illinois, and and they just cut, you knew down the stretch that Illinois was just going to keep going to her. Um, and, and Nebraska got her a couple times in game four. She tried a tip. I remember one time that that was blocked mm-hmm. that, that Nebraska kind of stretched a lead out, but game four was, was tight back and forth. One of the plays though, Lincoln and, and, you know, you were there. I'm interested to see what it looked like in person from your view, uh, came early in game four where the Huskers led 10 to seven and Laney Choboy tracks down the, the defensive play of yeah. the game. You want to tell yeah. everyone what happened? Yeah, so there was a, uh, uh, they went, uh, it was Brumbridge, sorry, um, tried to go line. Lexi Rodriguez, what does what she does, she had popped the ball, stuck her arm up, popped the ball up, but it mm-hmm. had momentum. Didn't get a clean going, dig, though. Yeah, it, it kept going back towards the end line. Laney Choboy runs for it. I literally said under my breath, no, Laney, no, because she had a play earlier where she tried to chase down a ball that went through like the tunnel, the the, mm-hmm. the locker room, and she just is very aggressive with her on court play. But she got there; her feet were on the edge of the uh, TerraFlex court, which is the boundary, and she leaned over and and would leaning into the stands and did a mm-hmm. bump pass over her head that uh, Rodriguez then sent over as a free ball. And then what brought the crowd is they tried to, Illinois tried another attack. And uh, Harper Murray and Becca Alec just moved yeah. it, just straight down block, and the whole place erupted. Laney fell into the student section. She fell into the stands because her momentum carried there. And then Murray just went she ended over up in the second row. Her. Yeah, Murray went over and just hugged her, and everyone was celebrating. So it was a great moment, just a testament to what Laney Choboy brings to the team. I mean, John Cook always likes to say that she's worth three points, even if she doesn't hit touch the ball in this, but she did touch the ball. And really yeah. brought that extra effort to this team. I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen a Nebraska defender make a play like that, whether it's been Justine Wongarantes or Kenzie Maloney or Kenzie Knuckles, uh, you know, chasing down a ball, running into their own bench, running into the first row of the crowd to to free ball it back. And then Nebraska somehow ends up winning the point. And they, they won it on a, a huge block on on Illinois next touch of the possession. Am I, am I understanding this right? That like you cannot leave the court and like, run up two rows up the aisle to, to try to save a ball. If you go off the court 
sports, that's, then, that's then the my play is over. Yeah, that's my understanding. Yeah. I think yeah, it's wherever the edge of the uh, Terraflex court is, that's kind of that's mm-hmm. the dimensions of what is in play. Once the ball leaves that or the play leaves that, mm-hmm. um, it's over at that point. So yeah, you can't go in, you can't go into the stands and try to uh, pass out. But her feet were still on the court, and even though. Mm-hmm. Her body was extended out over into the stands. Mm-hmm. Her body, her feet were there, so it was a legal play. So the Huskers end up um, making this really tight. You know, it was it was nine, 21, it was 20 to 19, Nebraska. It was 22, 21, Nebraska. It was 23, 22, Nebraska. Illinois just would not go away on that final kill by Raina Terry. Uh, Nebraska cut Nebraska's lead to 23, 22, but then the Huskers close it out strong. Uh, big kill by Allie Batenhorst. And then, um, Illinois can't side out and gets the ball back to Nebraska. Merritt Beeson puts it away on match point to, to clinch it 25-22. I will say that it was an out-of-system kill from uh, Allie Batenhorst. Right. She got she got a pass from Lexi Rodriguez, set her up, which I always think, I mean, Lexi Rodriguez, not sorry, Allie Batenhorst is so tall that she's almost better on out-of-system attacks because the ball is coming high enough and just a high loping. Mm-hmm. Uh, loping gives, you, gives you more time to see it. Yeah, more and more time for her to get full extension on her arm as well too. I think you get get her a little, yeah. the, the different angle. Use her all six five of her, and she hit that if I remember right to the deep back corner, which is you know, I see Nebraska's outsides try to hit that out of system sometimes, and a lot of times they miss and they hit it long or they hit it wide. Uh, Batenhorst, to her credit, put that one down to yeah. to give Nebraska a couple of match points, and then they they finish it off on the next time. Yeah, the other key point I, we, we kind of maybe glossed over is twenty three twenty one. Uh, the, the point that it was 20, 22, 21, uh, Nebraska sent a triple block. So all three front right. players, Batenhorst, Beeson and Alec all went up and blocked Terry. So they kind of really sold out to that, knowing the ball was going to go to Terry. Well, and that was on an out of system play. If I remember right too, yeah. that's, that's like, just let's put a couple more rolls of duct tape on this. So it doesn't break. And they sent up a triple block. And yeah. I thought Terry, you know, she has good vision. She's a really good out of system hitter. She might try to, to either sh- hit sharp cross or maybe tip there. It's, a lot of times it's good to tip over a triple block because your back row defenders can't see it that well. Well, no, she, uh, you know, she Leroy Jenkins it right into that block <laughs> and Nebraska got a huge point. So the defense came up big against Illinois. The serving uh, had a great day against Illinois. The middle blockers ate against Illinois and, you know, just win baby at this point of the season. Nebraska remains undefeated and now has mm-hmm. a two game lead over Wisconsin. Uh, for the Big Ten championship. Yep. Their magic number is now three to win the Big Ten outright. So they just need to have four matches left. So any combination of Nebraska wins and or Wisconsin losses will give Nebraska an outright title of three. So that's right. Uh, we're going to look at the we're going to look at the Big Ten roundup and, and get a little bit more into that Penn State Wisconsin match here in just a little bit. But we are super lucky as we move into rotation to to bring you an interview uh, with with Jalen Reyes. And this was great. Jalen was super generous with his time. We recorded in between the Northwestern and Illinois matches. Um, you know, we even had to trim this down a little bit so we didn't have a three hour show. But um, we touch on a lot of topics with Jalen. We talk about Nebraska's recently signed recruiting class kind of what the recruiting world looks like in 2023, what the calendar is like, um, how NIL and the transfer portal have kind of changed the game. And then at near the end of our chat with Jalen, we get a little bit into the current Huskers and and what he thinks kind of make them tick. So this is a great sit down that we had uh, as we move into rotation two with Nebraska assistant coach Jalen Reyes. We go to rotation two with Jalen Reyes, Nebraska assistant coach. Uh, Jalen has been with Nebraska since 2018. He is the uh, lead assistant coach in charge of uh, the defense and also the recruiting coordinator. So it's the perfect time of the year to bring Jalen on. 
Uh, we are talking to him on Thursday. It's the day after uh, signing National Signing Day was yesterday. Nebraska added a couple of recruits. So we're excited to have him here to join us today. So welcome, Jalen. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, we'll kind of start off right there, too. Nebraska signed two recruits, Skylar Pierce from Kansas City, who's an outside hitter, and Olivia Mock, who is a libero defensive specialist from Bennington. We'll start there. I mean, first off, let's talk about Skylar. I mean, what attracted you to Skylar? What made her uh, elite prospect that you wanted to be part of the Nebraska program? Well, with Skylar, there's a lot. Just pure athleticism, length, about six two and a half, maybe six three, six two and a half, I think really long kind of built like how you would build an international volleyball player. If I'm being honest, that long lanky whippy arm build. Um, she's a, she's a, she's a skier. So she gets off the ground pretty good, very quickly, very quick twitch athlete, which helps a ton, especially if you're looking at outside hitters, she's built, her body's built. If, if you, you know, for all the listeners, she's built like Harper Murray is. So in fact, they get confused a lot for each other, actually, which is kind of funny, but kind of that same build, we did a camp. I did a camp, me and Kelly and a couple other people during the during the COVID um, kind of shutdown summer in 2020. Uh, we weren't allowed to do any high school, like recruitable athletes age camps, but we were allowed to work with middle schoolers um, because at the time they weren't recruitable athletes. Um, so we went down, we did a bunch around Nebraska. We did a bunch at different clubs here in Nebraska. Um, and then we went down to Kansas City. And if I'm being honest, one of the reasons we did that camp was because of Skylar Pierce. The funniest part is she shows up to camp in a Nebraska shirt, you know, and me and Kelly were like super fired up on it. We pretty much spent the whole <laughs> camp kind of working with her. Um, you know, we had uh, hundreds of kids there, but kind of bouncing around her. She was on Kelly's court. I was kind of, I guess, master coaching the whole camp. Kansas City, I mean, there's, think about that camp now. There's a, there was a lot of D1 players now that are all committed that were at that camp down at, uh, it was actually at Mavs at the time. So I think just one, her interest in Nebraska as well. Um, I felt like just in the recruiting piece, you know, we're not allowed to make direct contact with her or parents, but just like him, them coming to camps, they would come to, they would come to our matches in 2021 before we were allowed to invite them or give them tickets. And she would send us pictures of her herself at the match. And she would even email or text me letting, letting, us know that she was coming to the match. So I almost would think like she recruited us as much as we recruited her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think she developed really nicely. She was part of USA national teams. She had, she was part of the under 21 team that I think did really, really well for being really being an under 19 team playing down in Mexico this fall. And, yeah. and I think one thing about Skylar is, is I think obviously she came on the scene pretty early. I feel like with her, there's some things we need to work on with her, but I feel like her best volleyball is still out in front of her. And she's not kind of afraid of taking on the challenge of coming to Nebraska. And, you know, another thing that was big with her was being close to home, you know, mm -hmm. so um, it's a kind of a two and a half hour, three hour drive from where she actually lives. So, you know, mom and dad can be up here a lot to watch her play and athletes like that don't walk around often. And when we try to, when we see those, we try to get them. You, you mentioned that kind of a athletic makeup that she has tall, wiry, lean, um, it se that seems to be uh, a makeup that you guys really prefer in your pin hitters, because, of course, Harper Murray's that way. I would describe Mira Beeson as uh, a, a player like that. You look around the Big Ten, some other schools are kind of going some other directions. You know, Sarah Franklin is is a very powerful player. Um, and even though she's not the tallest in the world, Chloe Shacoin at Purdue is is a pretty powerful player, you know, not super tall and and wiry. Is there something that you guys feel about that makeup that, that gives you an advantage? Because it does seem to you know mirror a lot of the, the standout 
international players that have that makeup. Yeah, too. I think just watching international volleyball, volleyball is very much like, uh, oh, this player reminds me of this player. You know, you watch, you look at the national team, they all kind of have similar builds. Um, and, and again, not, not like other builds who can be successful. There's international volleyballs that are built a little bit different, maybe smaller, maybe broader shouldered, or, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, just there's some negotiables and there's some non-negotiables, you know, and, um, you know, and sometimes, especially in pin hitters, there's traits that you look for that, you know, maybe, Hey, they do this well, or they they're built like this, or they're not built like this, but they do this really well. You know, Chloe Chicoin, uh, use her for an example. Chloe Chicoin isn't the tallest player. But other than that, I mean, she has everything. I mean, mm-hmm. one, she's competitive as hell. And I've never even, I've never, I've talked to her on the phone a couple of times. So I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't pretend like I know her very well, but I know she's competitive. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, one of the most competitive players probably in the country. Sometimes it's good to have a different build, but, you know, we kind of feel like, okay, hey, you know, we're trying to produce international volleyball players and a lot of them are built very similarly, mm-hmm. you know, and then, but it's for me and for us, that's not like the end all. If that makes sense. And, yeah. You know, we look for a lot of traits in whatever position it is. So I think, you know, Skylar felt Skylar checked a lot of boxes in a certain way and she happened to be that build and long and lanky. And we just feel like hey, over time too, they can take training um, in terms of like, you know, they're going to be asked to do a lot. So does their body type allow them to train at a high level over a long period of time and, you know, sustain themselves over a long period of time. Speaking of, Players, but international success. The other signee, Olivia Mock, was a member of that uh, under nineteen gold medal team, uh, and also another one from your backyard, from Bennington. Didn't have to drive as far. I mean, Kansas City's close, but this is even closer too. What Nebraska's had a very good run of defensive specialists, liberos. What about Olivia? Kind of allows her to perform on the level to match what what's been at Nebraska previously. So she's another one we've been watching for a long time. I think the first time I saw her play was like in twenty nineteen. Back mm-hmm. when she was playing, she was playing up on a club team. She was playing up on a club team with like Destiny to Nadam Simpson, who's at Creighton mm-hmm. now. They were all kind of together. And then those two ended up going over to Nebraska Premier, playing with like Grace Heaney. Kirsten Booth's daughter was setting for them. Alana was at, now is at Louisville. I mean, a really, really good club team. A bunch mm-hmm. of other good college players too. And if I'm being honest, Kayla Banworth at the time was my coworker. And she told me, man, this girl's pretty good. And I was just like, well, you're like, Kayla, you're qualified to talk about liberos. You know? <laughs> they're pretty good. If you think they're pretty good, man, this girl must be really good. Sometimes liberos are very hard to evaluate, in the, especially when they're younger, um, because it's like, is the level of serving up to par? When they're 13, 14, okay, hey, like she digs a lot of balls, but that's not what you're going to see at this level, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so yeah, she might be really good now. So it's really hard to project, but she caught our eye back then. Um, we've been following her pretty closely, honestly, as close as you could ever since she, when we did those camps in the summertime, which she came to a few of them. Every time she came to camp, we feel like we put her through the ringer in terms of like, had our grad managers serve a ton of balls at her and, you know, try to stress her and seem like that. And she's like such an even keel kid to a degree. There's sometimes where I'm like, Hey, Liv, what do you think about this? And she's like, Oh, that's good. You know, she's, she's, uh, she's one that doesn't say very much. But, you know, just elite, elite ball handling ability. Honestly, passing fundamentals. I, I hate to put this on her, but they're like really, really elite, simple, very Lexi Rodriguez-ish in terms of just how the ability to pass volleyballs. One of the interesting things I've found about volleyball is players a lot of times are recruited for a different position or project to a different position in college. 
than they play in high school. You've had liberos who were outside haters in high school. You've had outsides who played middle in high school. You know, when when we're looking at the the front line positions, outside hitter, middle blocker, right side, do you just try to get a bunch of good arms in the gym and figure it out once they get to college? Or are there specific traits you're looking for in a left side versus a middle versus a right side? Yeah, I think uh, if, you're, if you're talking about just people that hit the ball, so non-setters, non-liberos, mm-hmm. arms, being able to kill the ball is so important. So just we're looking for kids that can hit it hard that have really good technical arm swings and one, just be able to hit it hard, but also be able to hit it hard over a long period of time. You know, if their mechanics are good, shoulder body's going to last longer, you know, and, you know, hoping they're going to be really good for a long period of time. And Mm -hmm. so just trying to find kids that can kill volleyballs, you know, and that's kind of the way the game's going. It's being more just like every sport it's games driven by offense. And usually the better teams tend to be, have the kids that, they have more kids that can kill volleyballs. You guys kind of know how it goes. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm not saying you can't, you can't be small and be successful, but it's like to a degree, you need some, you need enough size to deal with the teams we're playing, you know, mm-hmm. the teams that we have to beat to get to where we want to go. Sometimes I like as a recruiting coordinator, it's like this is a great player, but it's like I worry sometimes we can't be too small, you know, mm-hmm. um, because that's that that can be a factor. Um and I think some other coaches, especially at our level, really, really stress that as well. And not saying, again, there's no room for someone small because they can do a lot of great things. I can elevate their play to where it can mask, you know, it can mask them being small. Yeah. But uh, you better bring some that. other things to the table. Yeah, I, I think fast twitch athletes are super important, too. You know, so, um, you know, if they're small, it'd be great if they're fast twitch just because that helps. How well do they jump? How quick off the floor are they? How explosive off the floor are they? explosion how quickly off the ground fast twitch those would be like one and two in my in my opinion and um, i haven't been doing this this long so i'm not saying i know everything because i don't but i would say those would be the first two and then you know some size would be great in terms of just like physical characteristics right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i would say those would be kind of you know and if you had a combination of the three you know if you have all three you're like a no-brainer obviously but to your question of like, do we try to find the athlete and then fit them? Yeah, I think, you know, we're trying to find really good volleyball players. And if they end up coming here and playing a different position, great. You know, I know coaches had some success doing that in the past with some players. Um, there's a little bit of that going on too, where where do we project this kid at? And maybe, hey, we recruit this kid and they develop into something because their high school team needs them to play outside hitter. You know, and yeah. the better volleyball player you are, the, the more options you give. To a degree, there's also, hey, there's more opportunities for them to play with. And sometimes you have a, one of the best setters in the world playing for the national team and then goes back to our high school team and plays outside hitter. So, you know, it's flexibility, things like that. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. So we've heard a little, I mean, you mentioned having to do this for long, but it, I mean, recruiting seems to be something you enjoy, something that you're very passionate about. I mean, what makes you so passionate about recruiting and, and the whole process? I think I like interacting with people. I know I'm in my office right now, but like sitting in here is usually like the least favorite part of my job. If I'm being honest getting out to interact with people and I like being around volleyball people. So when you go watch volleyball tournament, there's other volleyball coaches that are there that want to talk about volleyball. Uh, just, just like running into different people that just want to talk about volleyball. Um, so I think that's one thing I really like about it is just going, getting out there and then just kind of figuring out like, Hey, what does our team need in this specific mm-hmm. year? And it might be, might be somewhere in the near future. It might be 
like, hey, we're looking at an eighth grader and how's this kid project and do we even need this position in four years from now? You know, and I don't know. I think that stuff's fun. You know, I think that and then I think just have the understanding that for us to get to where we need to get to, we need to have a level of talent to to win. You know, hey, we can be the best coaches ever. And I think Barry Switzer from Oklahoma football said it. It's sometimes it's about the Jimmys and the Joes, not the X's and the O's, you know, and if you can make the Jimmys and the Joes better, you know, they make me look like a really good coach. And I think mm-hmm. A lot of our girls on our team make me look like a way better coach than honestly, I really am. I'm not dumb. Like at the end of the day, Lexi Rodriguez makes me look like a way better coach than Jalen Reyes really is. In the in the college sports landscape, we've seen a huge change in the last couple of years with the the advent of uh, of NIL name, image and likeness. Has that changed the recruiting process in volleyball in the same ways that it seems to have in, in football and basketball? Does it change the conversations that you have with recruits or, or that their families want to have with you? It's definitely changed. I, I'm not going to sit here and say it's changed as much as like how it does in football and basketball, but it's definitely changed um, some conversations and what maybe kids are looking for nowadays. And it, this isn't just coming from Nebraska. I've like heard stories of other teams losing players because of, hey, they're going to take their fifth year somewhere else because um, they're going to, or under the assumption they're going to make some money somewhere else or make more money or have different opportunities. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely changed college sports and good or bad, it's here and it's going to be here and it's going to stay here. So it could be bad. It could be good. It's it's the maybe yes, maybe no, you know, and if ever anyone knows that Chinese proverb, it's for me, that's kind of a big motto is maybe yes, maybe no. It's, it could be good. It could be bad. We, you, yeah. we don't know, you know, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's also how you look at it. It's definitely changed the uh the conversations that i know that are happening in recruiting um but I'll, also to a degree I'm, I'm 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 excited for the kids and the families to hey if they have these opportunities and you know and they they're, they're coming to a school and the school is going to take care of them and they're whether it's uh their collectives or whatever however they do it or you know just they do local camps and they get to coach and they get to make money off of their name. And because kids come to watch them play and they get to do a volleyball camp and everyone's there to see them. I'm like, man, that's, that's kind of cool. You know, if a, a pianist or, you know, gets to make money that they're in college because they can go play at a college. Like, why can't an athlete? With those cryptic tweets you started out, you're just sending out Chinese proverbs. You're not, uh, you don't know if things are good or bad. These aren't cryptic tweets. You're just being uh, wise and insightful, I guess. So. Maybe, maybe <laughs> yes, maybe no. But you mentioned the transfer portals has been the other kind of seismic change on the recruiting front too, and a lot more freedom movement of players. I mean, has that changed the recruiting calendar and even maybe your your scouting efforts as far as looking at what's available? I think a little bit. I mean, it, it's hard, right? Because it's not. I mean, nothing in recruiting is is one hundred percent, right? Mm-hmm. It's we recruit a kid that's number one ranked out of high school that there's no guarantees that they're going to be the number one player when they get to college. You you bank on hey there's going to be this uh, we have I'm at whatever school there's a, we need this position I know there's going to be this position this player for this position coming into the portal you don't know that you don't know if they're going to be good enough you don't know if they want to come to your school you don't know if hey they're going to go somewhere else uh, sometimes it's even as to a degree of they really like your volleyball program but they they really want to transfer because they want to get their masters in this one thing that you don't have your yeah. program doesn't have. But also in terms of like the calendar, I don't know if it's really changed how we try to recruit some high school kids. You Mm -hmm. know, Um, I think our philosophy still is, hey, we're trying to recruit the best athletes that we can, that we can help us. 
and then kind of use if we need to use the portal, which we have in the last couple of years. So, you know, people that say like, oh, Nebraska, like we don't like we've never used the portal. That's not true. I mean, I know John's gotten transfers in the past, too, before the portal was a thing. So I think we're trying to find kids that are good fits here and um, that can help us win. And I think other schools are doing the same thing, too. And there's no knock if you just recruit the portal. If you can be successful, why not? We're trying to recruit the best players. And if we have a need in the portal, like, you know, for example, Merritt Beeson, you know, we had a need at opposite. Um, she became in the portal and we decided to go for her. We got her. And I mean, who knows where we'd be without her. So we have, I think, what, one current transfer on our team, you know, but in the past, in the years past, we've had a couple. I don't know if at Nebraska necessarily we want to be a team that just builds straight out, out of the portal, but that could change. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we could have a couple of, we could have a couple needs in these areas and we need to go there to fix, like try to help them. I, I just think there's not, there's like a million ways to win. You know, and mm-hmm. um, I think to a degree too, there's a little bit of uh, you get caught into like, what have you done in the last like five minutes? And in any sport, right? If someone wins doing it that way, it's like we need to copy this. But then in the next year, someone else wins, maybe doing it a little bit a different way. And it's like we need to copy this because that's just kind of how society is, right? Yeah. I know some people talk about like, oh, they only recruit out of the portal. It's like, well, okay, yeah, like. That's a thing now. Kind of like, I guess, judging somebody what grocery store they, they shop at. It's like, yeah, it's a promise. You know, and maybe that fits their school better um, and maybe fits their philosophy or their timeline better. You know, there's not one way to do it to be successful. We're here with Nebraska Volleyball Assistant Jalen Reyes on Volleyball State. Jalen, we know that um, one of the other difficulties that coaches value predictability. And, and when the NCAA allowed any player who played during the COVID season to have an extra year of eligibility that threw a whole lot of unpredictability into programs. How is it going to change the portal? How is it going to change the planning once the players are, are run out of that extra COVID year of eligibility, which I think happens next year? Is mm-hmm. is that going to, to to calm things down a little bit, you think? I mean, I don't know. Uh, it makes it probably overall probably makes the average age younger. You know, like, I mean, we don't have the person that played four years in college that still can play one more year. I, 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 I don't know. Depends on what you, how do you define calm down? Maybe, you know, you'll have less grads, but you, you know, you, you have girls that kids graduating high school early, they take summer school. A lot of programs are starting to pay for summer school. So people just in general, I think women's volleyball players are graduating sooner. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're finishing their degrees in three or four years, three or three and a half years. It, it just makes every, it makes teams younger. I listened to a, like a podcast with Bill Self. And I'm a BYU grad, so I'm a BYU, I'm biased to BYU. So Bill Self is talking about like in Big 12 media days for basketball. He's talking about um, he thinks BYU could be really good in the next coming years in basketball because they figured out something that everyone else is trying to figure out. He called them how to get old and stale, you know, versus <laughs> like the top basketball kids. They go to Kansas and they leave right away um, versus BYU. You're working with missionaries. You have maybe BYU guys. They're not one and dones like Kansas probably has. Baylor has. I think just in general, like when you're. The 2020, whoever's in the recruiting class of 2020 in general, they got that year for free. So they got one more year next year. After that, we're kind of back to the regular four-year cycle. Uh, so I just think, I, I don't know if it's going to calm it down. I think there's still going to be a lot of transferring. I think it just will make the average age of the portal younger just because we don't have those girls that got to play five years. You mentioned earlier, I mean, uh, talking a little more about recruiting, that uh, you, you Skylar Pierce was on your radar when she was in middle school too. I mean, how far do you have classes mapped out? I mean, do you have, for example, 2026 is a really good year in outside hitters or 2027 has a lot of in-state setters too. I mean, how far out 
are people on your radar? I mean, you're not recruiting them that far out, but how far are you trying to compile to figure out positional strengths? Yeah. People who may have ties have a, to Nebraska or things like that. Yeah. yeah. I have a map um, kind of board in my office. That's, which, which you're looking at, I assume right now too. Yeah. I'm like, I have a, I have three 20 high school grads of 2030. <laughs> so I, you know, and then they're really good for their fifth grade team right now, aren't hey, they? They're, hey, they can hammer, you know, <laughs> some of them play. Usually it's like they play up, you know, like they're the coach's kid. That's 10 that plays up on a 12 year old team. And, you know, they club coaches will be like, Hey, this girl's really good. I think one of his, I have a lot of just random like people all over the country that I've just met through volleyball. And, you know, they kind of, I mean, it's, it's crazy now. I have a couple of my college teammates um, that had kids at BYU when we, when I was in college that are, some of them are like 10 years old now, 11 years old. And I'm like, wow. Like, you know, it's been a while, you know, slash, you know, crazy. When I tell people that they look at me like I'm nuts and I'm like, well, I haven't been in college for more, like almost 10 years now. And, you know, I have teammates that were 25 and had kids back when I was a freshman. So, you know, I look at it differently just because I went to BYU, but um but yeah, 2030, I have, you know, and who knows, you know, it's just, who knows how they're going to be. But um, yeah, I mean, just if we feel like they're good, why not? You know, and that doesn't mean when their day comes, we have to offer them, you know, it's, uh, who, who knows where we'll all be in 2030 anyway, you know, yeah. so mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, 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 I think it's fun and it's, it brings some interest and, um yeah it's like why not identify somebody and hey if, if it comes down the road to it like a lot of people are like man like i like nebraska and see them on tv a lot but it's like man they they showed a lot of it they came watch me play since i was little you know it's like mm-hmm. that can't hurt you you know mm-hmm. in recruiting to a degree and i think to also it's like the bigger the sample size that you get to see them why not you know you get to see like hey and maybe 10, like is 10 being 10 years old. Like, yeah, that's probably a little overkill if I'm being honest, but watching when they're 13, 14 to when they're 16, how much better do they get? You know, are they mm-hmm. about the same? Do they really get much better? Okay. When they turn 17, like, you know, just the development process, following the development process and watching them, how they, um, you know, how are they changing as a human being too, you know, is really important. And, um, you know, I think a big sample size is can't hurt you. So let's hypothetical here. Jamie Vaughn, director of appliance comes to you and says, Hey, we got a free waiver from the NCAA. You get to change any recruiting rule that you want to. What recruiting rule do you want to see changed? Gosh, that's hard. You can loosen it, tighten it, whatever. This might be a lame one. I I just think, um, and I think volleyball coaches might agree with me on this is the June 15th, after their sophomore year going into their junior years when we can talk to high school kids. Mm-hmm. I think those are the that's the day we can offer a scholarship to somebody. But they can't visit the school until August 1st. So, you know, so then there's this awkward time and like let's just like hey, maybe the kid has never come to camp before. Maybe they've never come to a match. So they're sometimes they get rushed into making decisions before they've even come on campus because they can't, they can't legally come on a visit. I think they should change that. I think those two days should almost align. I think that would be, that would be like off the top of my head. That would be, that would be the biggest thing is, is just align those two dates for yeah. volleyball. And I don't know what it is for other sports, but for volleyball, I would say align those two dates. Cause it's kind of, 
there's this awkward month and a half of okay like i have a scholarship i can talk to you guys but i can't interact with you guys in person i can't yeah. visit campus like i can go to camp but i can't really be on a visit mm-hmm. so i would say oh. those would be the two that, that would be like one off the top of my head and, and that's fairly new isn't it lincoln uh that you know because I mean, like they, 2022 they, yeah the class of 2022 you know, so that was back in the covid year like 2020 yeah. was the first time the june 15th they showed up because the Rolfsons were offered, you know, probably when they were in yeah. like seventh or eighth grade. And yeah. so I, I don't know why you don't just, I don't know, set, set a date where the whole process can begin. And I know that that's maybe a little naive yeah. of me, but like make it, make it a starting line kind of for everyone. You can visit on this date, you can get offered, you can accept, you know, I, you could convince me that someone should be able to sign whenever they want to, too. But yeah. like, it feels like the regulations don't necessarily align to, give everyone the the same opportunity. We're going to transition Jalen to some uh, questions about uh, the current team. I, I specifically wanted to ask you about Merit Beeson. I mean, when you're watching uh, this player play on tape, when she was considering transferring to Nebraska, you could tell that you have a really special talented player on the court, but when did it become clear to you and the rest of the coaching staff that you had a player who was the type of person who would be named a captain before she ever played in a match for this team? Uh, recruiting process, honestly, uh, she played with Becca and Lexi on an under 19 or an under 21 national team. So um, they both gave great reviews of her and just talking to her. It just seemed like you're talking, you're not really talking to a 19 year old at the time, you know? Um, so I would say that the fact that she was a captain at her last school, you know, as a sophomore was, I mean, that speaks volumes. And, uh, you know, Florida is a really good program. So it's not, you know, you know what I mean? It's, She's been a captain at a program that has very similar expectations we do here. Um, and then I think just just like your day in day out like interactions with her. She's a girl that like people will get people will do like a passing drill, and sometimes we make them do a passing drill that they have to get so many good passes in a row or out of this number. She like stands there and waits for them, like you know, just like this little thing, but she does it every day. You know, so all these like little things add up. Um, I don't know when I thought she'd be a captain probably before we went to Brazil. Obviously, it was kind of decided in Brazil on the way back. You guys probably I think you guys probably covered that story. But um, I, I just I think early on, I felt like this is a girl. And I think one of it is because Lexi and Becca were so um, adamant about needing this girl on our team, but not not purely because of her volleyball abilities, but because of how she is as a human being. You know, you focus a lot of your work on defense. A couple, last couple of matches, Rutgers hit for a higher hitting percentage. Uh, Northwestern hit for a higher hitting percentage. I mean, what does Nebraska need to do to tighten up their defense and kind of, I mean, I, I, they may have slipped from the number one opponent hitting percentage after last night uh, against Northwestern performance. What, what do you? What is key to you to tighten up their defense? I mean, I I think it, it, we gotta we gotta get a couple more positive touches blocking. That would be number one. I mean, it all. I mean, you guys know it goes hand in hand, serve, block, and defense. I just think we we can get a couple more positive touches blocking wise. You know, um, would be I think the biggest factor. Um, the random freebies we give up during games too recently. It's like, okay, Hey, like we're playing against some really good teams or, you know, maybe the team's under 500, but they have a really couple really nice players on the team. Like, they're going to get theirs. It's just 
there's random freebies we give out through the games. And sometimes they kind of come in a little runs where it's like, you know, three or four kills in a row that I'm like, is that really a kill on us guys? You know? And uh, mm-hmm. I think, I think blocking, blocking, we got to find some more positive touches. And I don't mean just stuff blocks, but just, we got to touch, touch a couple more balls positively. Yeah. And as a group, there's not an individual, just as a group, we need to do a better job of that. And, I need to do a better job as a coach, kind of helping him with that. And we're wrapping up here uh, with Jalen Reyes, Nebraska volleyball assistant. Jalen, we we appreciate you being here today. One other thing I wanted to get to, Lincoln and I have talked for the last couple of weeks on the show about the defining characteristic of this team. And, and what I have come up with, and this could maybe just be my opinion, is it's really not anything that, that you can, that is measured in the stat sheet on the court. It seems to me, and, and I think Merritt touched on this in a, in an interview earlier this week, that this is a team that despite its youth and and short time together, just kind of always believes that they're going to win. They, they seem like a very confident group. They don't seem like they, they get down on each other or get down on themselves when they're in an O2 hole, like at Penn state. Do, do you feel the same way or is there something else that really sticks out um, to you about the identity of this group? I, I just kind of, I don't know people ask me about this team and I'm just like, man, it seems like every day is like, I've never seen it before. So it's like all new. So I don't know. Like, I would say I would agree with that. I would say it's like, it seems like they can always harness their best when their best is needed. Mm. You know what I mean? And like sometimes it's like, yeah, maybe we feel like as a coaching staff, like, hey, dude, we need it from point zero in the first set, you know? But it's like they've answered the bell every time, you know, literally every time. And um, yeah, I just feel like, I leave matches sometimes and sometimes I always point maybe a random individual here or there throughout the match. Like this player or these two players would not let us lose. And overnight, Hey, this player and this player stepped up and they just literally wouldn't let us lose. I feel like at the end of the day, like that's a really good sign of a team that do we need to get pushed into a corner before, before we start playing that way? No, we have a lot of 17, 18 year olds, you know, that are kind of, you know, kind of taking on this big burden of being asked to produce every single night when they, and it's hard. And that's just the way it is here. Uh, I mean, I've been proud of the way they respond each and every time so far, just being able to, to answer the bell when it's, when it's time to like really, really hate the games on the line. But a lot of the younger players really, really step up and kind of, merge together and don't i mean honestly just don't let us lose they refuse to lose so far so when we need it whoever it is makes has been making the play or mm-hmm. the couple of plays or like the, the string of three or four points that you know is the decider and it's like yeah do we wish we were better in a lot of facets of the game or certain areas or maybe honestly maybe even sometimes like we dug ourselves out of a hole and we made the plays at the end but like let's talk about how we got in the hole the the people, the girls are able to come up and make the plays when it's like really, really, really matters. And I think that's a very, very important trait because when you're playing against really good teams, you're going to have to do that. It's going to come down to three or four points in the middle or at the end of sets that really, really decide or swing auto matches. And, mm-hmm. you know, our team is, they found ways to do it. And sometimes it's, girls coming off the bench, you know, Maggie Mendelson coming off the bench, helping us and Kennedy or coming in and serving ball and uh, Macy Bozinger, everybody on our team being able to step up and really, really answer the bell when they're needed. For me, it's like being able to be your best when your best is absolutely 100% needed 
is for me the most important thing. Nebraska Volleyball Assistant Coach Jalen Reyes joining us on Volleyball State. Jalen, this was great. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us today. Uh, we really appreciate it, and good luck the rest of the year. Thanks, guys. And thanks again to Nebraska Assistant Coach Jalen Reyes. Hopefully you enjoyed that and uh, learned a little bit about how his uh, recruiting mind cl- works. And always be closing is his motto on Twitter. So he's always thinking about recruiting. So we're going to move on now to rotation three and talk about some of the Big Ten matchups. Uh, like we mentioned before in the first rotation, the big match of the week was uh, Wisconsin going to Penn State. Uh, they fell in four. And just uh, we talked a little bit about their end results, but let's get into the details a little bit, especially the second set. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you had a chance to watch this, but it was wild. Uh, Penn State was up 24 to 18. And Wisconsin says, we're not done here yet. And they fight back. They score six in a row. So they fight off a number of uh, set points there. And they also, they looked like they were going to get uh, a set point. They were going to go up 25-24, but Penn State has a challenge, flips the point to give another another uh, another set point to the Nittany Lions as well, too. And they keep going back and forth, back and forth. Finally, on the 10th set point of the set, uh, Penn State converts it to, to even up the match one to one two. Have you, I mean, have, have you ever seen a team take 10 set points to I've never uh, close, seen 10. Close out a set. I've never seen 10. There were a couple matches that I remember where Nebraska would be up like 24 18 against Penn State. And it was always Penn State who would make the late run. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how many times I've seen Penn State like trail 24 21 or even, you know, 24 18. And Penn State would win like five points in a row or they would make you sweat for it. And you're yeah. like, how did, how did, yeah, you can't. It's like the Michael Myers of volleyball teams. Like they just won't die. Um, this is a super tight match because the first three sets of this Penn State Wisconsin match um, were deuce games, and I believe Penn State had the lead late in game one before Wisconsin staged the comeback. So these yes. are two really good teams, and I think with this win, Penn State maybe puts to bed any t- concern of them not hosting uh, first and second round matches in the tournament. This is this is a great resume win for them, and of course, it does Nebraska a pretty huge favor too. For sure. Yeah. So we go to the third set too. It's tied 23 all again. Uh, Wisconsin has an untimely service there. And then Ruzik comes in with a kill uh, to really seal that up. And then they never trailed in the Penn state never trailed in the fourth set too. They got a little bit of advantage and then just kept building, building, building mm-hmm. when it, when that one 25, 18. Um, and really I, I, the one other thing that, I mean, impresses me about this is uh, I mean, Rec Hall is not an easy place to play, but it makes what Nebraska did to come back and reverse sweep all Mm -hmm. that more, all that much more impressive too. that. uh, They were able to handle the atmosphere and handle that. This is a good Penn state team that Mm -hmm. really, really took it to Wisconsin and and pulled out critical moments that they could not against Nebraska. Yeah. I I was not able to watch this match real time um, this weekend. My family had been traveling this weekend and, and we were in a place where we could not watch big 10 network. So I was in a hotel room following it on live stats and then kind of following it on, on social media as well. But I did see that, um, you know, Wisconsin did not have all of their starters uh, for this match. Wasn't Anna Smrek was out on uh, Saturday, but she was all, didn't she also miss the Maryland match as well? Yeah. Well, that was a Friday, Saturday. It was a road trip, oh, okay. Friday, Saturday, East coast road trip. So she didn't travel at all. Um, Dennis Punzel, former guest of ours, he tweeted Go out. Go back and she- listen to that. Yeah, he was he tweeted out that she did not travel for unspecified health reasons was all the only mm. explanation I saw. So she didn't play at all. Um, yeah. And Anna Smirk is um, Anna Smirk is Wisconsin's six foot nine opposite hitter. So, yeah. So what they did in her place is they shifted over Timmy Thomas Alara uh, from 
left pin to right pin. So they stuck with mm-hmm. their six two. So she played right side. And then Julie Orzold, uh Julia Orzold, the Libero came to uh play outside hitter, which she had mm-hmm. done the past couple of years too. So they they shifted so around Penn the State had, or excuse me, Wisconsin had like three different starters in place for uh, for this weekend. I I still think, you know, a full strength healthy Wisconsin is as talented as any team in the country and 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 has a really high ceiling, but you know, teams like Nebraska and Penn State can make you play at less than your best. So the the trophy doesn't have little asterisks on it that tell you, you know, who who got hurt and uh, who missed what match. Uh, lots of teams this time of year are are dealing with some injuries. What I think was really impressive for Penn State, it's been the Dress Merzik show all year long. Well, they finally got her some help on Saturday mm-hmm. against Wisconsin. Cameron Hanna, um, who I believe is their opposite hitter and had a really good match against Nebraska um, when those teams played last week, had 19 kills and hit 375 against Wisconsin. So, yeah, if you can get... Penn State, uh, some extra help to go with Jess Merzik. Like, that's a really dangerous team. Yeah, for sure. And Merzik did, did put up a pretty typical performance. 16 kills, 16 digs. Uh, so she did she did what she does. Average four kills per set, so that was good. And then mm-hmm. in the middle, uh, Trammell had nine kills and hit 571. Overall, as a team, Penn State hit 238, so average, but Merzik mm-hmm. um, percentage was a little bit low. She was a little high air, but mm-hmm. when you get in the balls that she does to rescue them and kind of bail them out, Mm-hmm. that's going to come with the territory on the Wisconsin side. Of course, Sarah Franklin had another great match for the Badgers, 19 kills, 12 digs. Uh, Julia Orzel, who spends most of her time this year at libero, like Lincoln mentioned, um, stepped in and added 11 kills. I don't have Tammy Thomas, Alara's um, numbers this year, but it seems like she's been, she has not given them what they have expected of her this year when she transferred in from Northwestern. And I imagine it's a, it's an adjustment to go from being like, the stud on one team who gets all the big swings to maybe the second or third fiddle on a loaded team like Wisconsin, but she has not been um, kind of the all big 10 player. They thought she might be this year. Yeah. She is only averaging 2.13 kills per set. So that's probably down. She was probably up in the threes, maybe fours at Northwestern when she oh, yeah. was taking a bulk volume of that. And she's only hitting uh 198. So that's kind of really where mm-hmm. she's struggling a little bit to kind of establish her role and figure out um yeah. how she fits into the grand scheme of things. You need those outsides, you know, to probably be even on the low end, you need them to be above like 235, 240. Um if you get if you're an outside hitter and you're up above 250, you're having a really good year, I think. But yeah, hitting below 200 as a as an outside hitter is is not what you want to see. Um Wisconsin, though, in their earlier match on Friday night, no indication of the troubles Saturday would bring. They hit 500 against Maryland. Lincoln, I've never seen a match where no. a team had one hitting error for the whole match. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that made it a nice, what, 40 divided by 80 stat line. Yeah. And um, Maryland had one block. That was the one um, miscue that Wisconsin committed offensively. Yeah, I think Terry, I saw Terry, Pete, Terry Pettit tweet out, go into your open gym. Do any yeah. sets and I dare you to uh, dare you to see if you can have one error in an open right. team. No defense. You you don't hit five hundred against air. Um, and I've seen plenty of hitting drills where somebody sprays the ball out of bounds or there's a bad set or something. So really impressive uh, performance leading up to that by Wisconsin. They're still in second place in the Big Ten now, two games behind Nebraska. But Lincoln, after that, it, it starts to get a little interesting, doesn't it? For sure, yeah. Uh, kind of the next tier of teams are still sorting out a little bit. They're all close and very moving. Penn State got the big win uh, to help kind of solidify their their spot and fighting for third place. Uh, but Purdue, who they're battling with, uh, they had a good weekend as well too. They went to uh, they, they played Minnesota, beat Minnesota three to one. Um, really, and I mean again, 
you feel like you talk about this every single time. Uh, Hudson had 17 kills. Cloetia Cohen had 14. But I think as of late, what I've seen from Purdue is uh, Raven Colvin has really started to step up and kind of become a force offensively as a middle blocker. She had 14 kills mm-hmm. against uh, Minnesota and also five blocks to go along with that. So I think that's what the Purdue needs if they want to make a postseason run is to get that third option, especially from their middle mm-hmm. instead of relying on uh, their two outside hitters. Yeah. Purdue's a team that I feel like I look at their numbers every week and, you know, Eva Hudson has 20 kills. Chloe Chacoin has 18 kills. You're like, how did this team lose five conference matches? Well, um, getting a third, third offensive performer like Raven Colvin this weekend uh, will really help. And I think, you know, Purdue's always seems really dangerous going into the tournament. And then they always kind of surprise you by losing in the sweet 16. So maybe this is the year they, they turn it around. And I tell you what, you, you don't want Purdue to be sent to Lincoln for a regional. And I think at this point, some big 10 team is probably going to end up in Nebraska's regional. And I don't really know who you want it to be because I don't think Nebraska wants to see Penn state or Purdue uh, coming back at them in, in maybe a sweet 16 matchup. But so like, let, let Purdue go somewhere else and be someone else's problem. Um, Minnesota did come back to beat Indiana in five um, on their second match of this weekend. And they have a player I'm not that familiar with Lincoln. Julia Hansen came in off the bench, replacing McKenna Wooker and had 19 kills. Um, yeah. The, and, and to fight off an Indiana team who we've seen, you know, have some really big wins this year. Yeah. She came into the first set. I mean, the first set was just maybe worst case scenario for the Gophers. They lost 25 to 13. Uh, and so worker really struggled. I think she had two kills, two uh, errors. Um, I don't, I forget what, how number of attacks, but wasn't getting the John. So they went to Hanson um, and really she kind of stepped up and she had 19 kills, six digs. So uh, really mm-hmm. kind of uh, reignited their offense. I mean, after they did have to go five sets to pull it out, but she really kind of stepped up and mm-hmm. really, really carried the load. And, um, and so, I mean, uh, Grody, who's their opposite, she also had 19 kills too. So uh, mm-hmm. just a good, this is what Wisconsin needed this. If they're trying to build their tournament resume, this is one they had to have. Minnesota, you mean? Yes, Minnesota, sorry. Uh, Minnesota needed this one to solidify there because their their RPI as of last week was in the mid 30s so um, mm-hmm. to, to lose to Purdue won't hurt them that much but they need to beat Indiana to really make a case for the five big teams getting mm-hmm. in the tournament and Minnesota is going to host Nebraska on Thanksgiving weekend the same weekend Nebraska goes out and, and plays Wisconsin so you know you could see a scenario where Nebraska has the Big Ten title clinched or at least a share of the Big Ten title and goes up to Minneapolis and Minnesota really might need that win to um, bolster their tournament resume. So the, the big 10 standings look like this as we wrap up this rotation, Huskers lead the league at 16 and 0. Wisconsin's 14 and two in second place, Penn state and Purdue tied for third at 11 and five. And then tied for, I guess, fifth would be um, Minnesota and Illinois at nine and seven. And right now, I don't know if you could guarantee all six of those teams are going to make the tournament. Maybe five of them will. So Minnesota and Illinois really need to have a uh, strong, um, strong closing matches down the stretch. Yeah. Like I said, Minnesota's 35th in the RPI. Uh, Illinois is 84th, which is a big, I mean, they're behind Northwestern in the RPI as before last week. Yeah. They have some not, bad losses this year. Bad losses. So they're, it's going to be hard for them. They need to win out a lot of their remaining matches to even make a good case that even mm-hmm. it, the big 10 is, a, it usually gets in a lot, but we'll see how they do. But uh, let's go on to the next rotation, rotation four. talk about some of the other, I mean, there was uh Penn state being in Wisconsin was not the only uh, seismic shakeup mm-hmm. in the, uh, in the national landscape too. Uh Kansas state 
K State's uh, making a habit of this now. They they hosted they hosted uh, Tech number three Texas and they swept them 22-22-21. Um, that breaks a thirty nine match losing streak that Kansas had not beaten Texas since October of two thousand three. So there's a lot of demons exercised. Uh, mm-hmm. Their brand new arena, which Nebraska played in earlier this year, was rocking. I'm sure, and just it was uh, it was really a great showing by them. Uh, Aaliyah Carter really carried the load. She's really emerged as a uh, a, a terminal hitter for them. She had 20 kills, uh, and she's like what five nine. She's not a yeah, big outside un- hitter. Yeah, definitely, she's undersized too. So she really kind of carried the load. Uh, but Casey, yeah, Casey as a team hit hit 351 against Texas, which against the defense that they've put out this year. I mean, they are vulnerable, and it's not as solid as mm-hmm. it has been. And when you lose Zoe Fleck, I mean, that she's going to be an mm-hmm. anchor to the defense. But 351 is just an outstanding showing by K-State. And that comes, what, a, a week after K-State had... I know they swept BYU in back-to-back matches. Yes. Maybe that wasn't last week. It was two weekends ago, yeah. Yeah. And then K-State, I, uh, do they do they play KU uh, after that? And then they, they lost them. twice to Kansas. They lost twice to Kansas. That kind of Brought them back mm-hmm. down to earth. They're they're also another weird tournament team. You, they got some good wins on their resume too, but then mm-hmm. got some head scratching losses mm-hmm. too. So, um, out west in the Pac-12, um, and I I think I went to bed when Stanford was up 2-0 in this match. Stanford survives at home against Oregon. Um, almost got reverse swept from what I remember. Uh, Stanford goes up 2-0. Oregon wins three and four. Stanford wins game five, 15-12. Um, Stanford hits 244 for the match, and all of their big guns have big matches, as you might expect. Kendall Kip, who might be the favorite right now for National Player of the Year, Stanford's opposite, uh, had 18 kills and 17 digs. Katie Baird uh, with 18 kills also for Stanford. Um, and even though Oregon's offensive numbers don't look that great, they hit 120. Um, you know, they had some players with some big, big nights. Uh, Mimi Collier had 14 kills and 13 gay digs. And I think the big thing about this match when I was thinking about it afterwards. Yeah. Usually there are two setters that make the first team all America team. And I think we might've seen them both in this match ooh, because Cammy um, minor for Stanford is, is really, really good, super athletic and sets a fast offense. And then Hannah Pukas, um, who's the fifth year senior for Oregon. She had transfer transferred in from Washington state a couple years ago. Um, she runs maybe the fastest offense in the country. And I think the, the all American voters like kind of the faster setters, the flashier setters, and so we might have seen a matchup of the the two first team All American setters in Stanford's Cami Minor and Oregon's Hannah Pukas. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other. I mean, I think Bergen Riley is going to be in that conversation. Yeah. But you know, uh, I was looking this up, and I don't have the best access to the records, or at least didn't have an hour or two to to comb through it all. I looked through the usual suspects I would have thought could have earned this honor, and I didn't see that they did. But I can't find the last true freshman who have been named a first team all America at setter because uh, Lauren Carlini hadn't. And um, who else would I have kind of checked out up there? Um, some of the, some of the older, uh, like the Stanford setters, like uh, Bryn Kehoe didn't and UCLA's Nellie Spicer wasn't a first team all American as a setter. And these are like four year starters who won multiple yeah. national championships. So uh, I'm sure somebody out there can, can email us or tweet at the show. Has there been a first team all America a f- true freshman setter. I don't know, but I, I just even as good of a season as Bergen Riley is having, I don't think the voters are going to to give that to honor to a true freshman unless they are like head and shoulders above everyone else. Yeah, and I was just the only one I thought was maybe uh, Jenna Gray at Stanford too, but she didn't. Yeah, and she so. didn't. No, she was like 
she might have been an all pack 12. I she was one of the first players I looked up to. Um, but you know, Jenna Gray had a pretty good career, even though yeah. she was not first team all American as a as a freshman. But uh Lincoln, you want to look at the big match of the ACC that happened this week? Yeah, didn't happen, uh, didn't last very long though. No, it was not. It, it, it was a, uh, number seven pit goes on the road down to Atlanta, take on uh number eight, Georgia Tech. Uh, and it is a woodshed. Uh, the Panthers hit 440, led by 15 kills and 23 on 23 swings from Olivia Babcock. Um, and Pitt just had another one of these amazing performances. They had six attack errors the entire uh, entire set, entire match, so it should say. Um, Georgia Tech struggled a little bit. They was 23 errors and hit 057 as well. So they just, it was not mm-hmm. a good showing by, uh, I mean, I was surprised because these were supposed to be two of the top uh, four big uh, ACC teams to really mm-hmm. kind of bring it down, and Pitt just did not. Yeah, did not give him much air to breathe. Through. Well, the uh, the the ACC kind of looks like this: Louisville and Louisville and Miami, I believe, are both fourteen and two. Uh, no, sorry, Louisville and Florida State are both Florida fourteen State, and yes. two atop the ACC. Pitt's uh, a half game back just because they they haven't played their sixteenth um, conference match yet. This is all going to come down though to the last six days of the of the regular season because Louisville will um will go to Pitt on uh November 18th this week and then Pitt plays Miami and Pitt plays Syracuse. So this could come down to the to the final um weekend of the regular season between Florida State, Pitt and Louisville as to, to who wins the ACC. Yes, and but Pitt show made a good showing. They didn't allow uh, Georgia Tech to get above 20 points, so uh they mm-hmm. made, they're making their case but they'll settle it on the court as well. So yeah, you want to go to the SEC uh, right now? Yeah, um, let's so see. you thought that, I mean, Georgia had a big win coming off. They beat um, Arkansas, wasn't it? So, and then they played Tennessee and Kentucky this weekend. They took a set off of Tennessee, but didn't, and, but didn't put up much, didn't put them too much on the ropes. And then Kentucky came in and, and exerted themselves to really make the case that so Kentucky is still in first place. They're a game up. On Tennessee and Arkansas, Tennessee and Arkansas, and then they, they, Tennessee, so Kentucky closes with Texas A&M, who's kind of in that second tier frisky teams. Missouri, who beat Auburn uh, this past mm-hmm. weekend, uh, and then Arkansas, and then the usual power player, Florida, to close out the season. Close out the season. So um, Kentucky controls their own destination, but it will not be an easy road too. So that's kind mm-hmm. of the SEC. But uh, there was also a lot of uh, drama on the Big Twelve. So Jeff, you want to cover the Big yeah, 12? yeah. We'll go back to the Big Twelve after we talk about K State, Texas, um, Iowa State pulls the upset over KU this weekend, um, beating uh, the Jayhawks in five. This I always think this is hilarious when this happens. You've got four really close sets, and then game three is just like a boat race. Iowa State wins game five over KU 15 to three uh, even and and wins the match, even though K-State out or excuse me, KU. Sorry, all my Sunflower State family and fans. Uh, KU out blocks Iowa State 17 to five and Iowa State had 34 hitting errors, but they had 31 kills from Nayeli Gonzalez to to pull off the wins. So Christy Johnson Lynch with a, a great win there. And then um, it, again, the Big 12 is doing this two match series. You have to play on back to back nights. KU gets up off the mat and beats Iowa State in four on Saturday night. Yes. And then TCU is the other kind of uh, team causing a little bit of drama. Uh, they uh, went to Waco again, going on the road too, and picked up, finally picked up their first win over a rated team when they beat number 20 Baylor three to one. Uh, Melanie Parra uh, transferred from University of Texas, uh, had 24 kills, 15 digs. 
So they really exerted themselves. And then again, you great job. You win them. Let's see if you can do it again. TCU did back up their big upset. Mm-hmm. They won. They went all the way to the five sets and won 16 to 14 in the fifth set. Um, Para again had 16 kills, but Audrey Nalls also backed up and um, had 16 kills too. And and the way this worked out too, TCU won three really close sets, but Baylor dominated the two sets that they won. So they ended up out hitting TCU mm-hmm. 235 to 164. So the stats are a little skewed towards Baylor, but TCU was clutch mm-hmm. and delivered when they needed it. We need to close out rotation four by looking at a couple of other in-state schools in the volleyball state. We want to give a shout out to Coach Matt Buttermore and the University of Nebraska Omaha Mavericks, who have clinched a share, at least a share, excuse me, of the Summit League title. They swept South Dakota State on Saturday after falling at Denver um, earlier in the week. Listen to this turnaround, and this this shows you what a tough non-conference that UNO plays. They were one and nine in their non-conference play, and now they're twelve and four in the Summit League. Um, to make the tournament, they're going to have to win the Summit League tournament, no matter what happens um, with their regular season title. But um, yeah. it's a tight race in the Summit League because Kansas, UMKC, uh, Kansas City, in South Dakota, and Denver are all a half came back. So this is still, you know, the, the Mavs could win it outright. They could um, have a share of it. Now they're playing for seeding within the Summit League tournament. And Omaha is actually done. So they get to sit back and watch the kind of the matches go. Um, but Kansas City plays mm-hmm. St. Thomas, South Dakota plays that South Dakota State and Denver plays Earl Roberts. So you think that, I mean, Omaha got their work done. They'll win at least a share. You figure at least one or if not three of those mm-hmm. teams will win, win it. So um, mm-hmm. and then also in state, uh, Creighton took care of business. They went on an East Coast trip. Uh, to play Seton Hall and St. John. So they remain tied in the first in the Big East. Uh, they end up their regular season. They have matches against Xavier and Butler um, to wrap up the season. Marquette, they played the East Coast teams. They have St. John's, uh, who's been kind of the third third best team in the Big East. And they also play Seton Hall to wrap up. So Creighton could be eyeing a potential, uh, at least co-Big East. Um, you think that's worst case scenario. Maybe they may be co-champions mm-hmm. of the Big East too. Uh, also want to give a shout out. We did have one of our emailers, Hannah, give us a very detailed explanation about last week. We had a question about Ellie uh, Bischelmeyer, who kind of came up out of nowhere and had a great match against Marquette. Um, and you know, really was a great attacking option for them. Uh, Ellie Bischelmeyer is a uh, transfer from Rice. Uh, she struggled earlier this season, had a little bit of hurt shoulder, but got a cortisone shot a couple of weeks ago. And that did wonders. Apparently cortisone uh, makes everything better. Yeah. And so and she also said Marquette really focused on Nora Sis um, and, and Ava Martin on the, on the pin to leave Bishmar open. And she really had a great match against Seton Hall. She did struggle uh, this past weekend uh, against St. John's, but um, good for Crane to have another attacking option. So hopefully that gives them a little bit more depth as they get geared up for a NCAA run. And I would bet that Creighton also flew through Newark if they were playing in Queens too. So maybe they, maybe they flew through LaGuardia. Maybe they went to Newark. I'm not sure, but that's got to take a toll on your on your volleyball acumen when you when you fly out there. So that wraps up rotation four. Creighton still has a, a chance to share the Big East title. Rotation five, though, Lincoln, this was your brainchild. You have been getting all these questions. I want to let I'm going to let you start this discussion. Where exactly do you want to take it about Nebraska's scholarship um, allocation or what they might be looking for yes. um, in, in terms of an offseason acquisition beyond the recruiting class that Jalen Reyes took us through a little while ago? Yes. So I will preface all of this by saying uh, we asked last week on Wednesday when we talked to Cook after NIL, uh, sorry, no, wait. NLI. And, and yeah, LI, yeah. Just say National signing day, man. Signing Just say day. signing day. Thank you. Signing day. Uh, we asked, I asked him, how, how do you go about roster building when you have 
a full roster and I see everyone's getting a scholarship and you're adding two more players to that. And he says, that's what he gets paid for. And they don't talk about it publicly. So mm-hmm. these are all kind of speculation, putting idle speculation, together, idle speculation, <laughs> putting the pieces together, using some logic and figuring things out too. So, um, volleyball has 12 scholarships, um, which is dumb. Which you think it needs to be more? It should be it should, more. They should have 14. Yeah. If basketball can have 14 scholarships, put five kids on the floor at a time. Why do you only have 12 scholarships, put six kids on the floor at a time? It's dumb. Fix women's, it. Women's basketball, I, I believe, has 15, which maybe they a, do. A lot of schools don't use the full allotment. So uh, knowing Nebraska does have 14 players, uh, Maisie Bozinger, I believe, is a walk on. And also, important note, Maggie Mendelson, because she plays basketball, she is a counter towards basketball. She does not count towards the 12 mm-hmm. uh, limit for volleyball. So um, you don't have to worry about those those two as well, too. So you figure everyone else is on scholarship. So they welcome Skylar Pierce to the recruiting class and Olivia Mock, who is a libero. We're looking at kind of who Nebraska has in the roster, um, if everyone's going to be on there, I find it hard to believe that all five outside hitters will be mm-hmm. on them. That's, I mean, yes, there's a couple seniors on that, but there's not, there's only one ball and not enough playing time in Nebraska's mm-hmm. running five one. So I don't, I've never, I haven't heard of this. This is just, again, wild speculation on my part. Yeah. You figure one of them might leave to go to another, find mm-hmm. another opportunity elsewhere to find more playing time. Here's where, here's where things, you know, can, can kind of be handled behind the curtain a little bit too. What what a lot of times happens with your defensive players, um, and I I don't know that this is what's going on in Nebraska's roster right now. I just know that it has happened in the past. Is you tell your liberos or your DS, hey, we're going to get you on scholarship for two of your four years, maybe three of your four years, and we're going to figure it out another way for a couple of the other years. So I guess that's sort of the. NIL type scholarship. Yeah. Um, I think there's some NCAA rules about you can't take someone who's on scholarship, take them off scholarship and just pay them through NIL. But a lot of times that's what happens with transfers. And I think that's what happened with Texas uh, last year where they, you know, had a whole lot of good players and, you know, they had more good players on their team than they had scholarships on their team. Let's, let's just put it that way. What I think is going to happen again, this is just, this is an, I think this is not an, I know, um, I think Nebraska is going to have two players who are currently on the team this year who would be eligible to come back and play for them next year, not come back and play for them next year. Mm. That's either going to be a transfer out or it's going to be, you know, an early graduation. We talked to Jalen um, about, you know, players can graduate in faster than four years now, especially with all these ne- players Nebraska brings in um, a semester early. They graduate high school a semester early, so they get a full load of classes in before they ever play a college match. You can get your degree in three and a half years, and maybe then you go leave and and look for another place to play. So if I were to guess, and again, this is a total Jeff Sheldon guess at the positions where Nebraska might be looking for an additional player next year, I think you might see them look for a setter, and I think you might see them look for another outside hitter. Those are my total guesses, and um, if if you want to yell at me about that, go ahead. I just have a guess that's what could happen. Yeah. And I will say to one of the things that I'm around the program a lot, I mean, people want to see Kennedy or succeed and get her opportunity. She's stuck behind a freshman now too. So mm-hmm. what does that mean for her? Well, I mean, if Kennedy or does transfer, that doesn't help Nebraska out because they still, they need a backup. Setter, they need a backup setter. So I, I think they'd be, be inclined and just seeing the way, I mean, Kennedy or is a very valued member of the team has a great mm-hmm. team chemistry. If she's willing to accept her role to be a backup setter and a serving specialist, 
you almost kind of want to, because otherwise you see what like Florida happened where they had a freshman who was the starter. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have a backup setter, so They had to go get a division two one year senior to mm-hmm. run the show. And all of a sudden, oops, Alexis Stuckey suffers a very unfortunate accident. And now you're relying on your division, mm-hmm. former division two yeah. player. She got hurt. She got show. hurt in a match. She, yes. you know, it wasn't like a vehicle accident or anything, no. but you know, the effect is the same. If you know, their one illness so, or injury, banana peel slippage from Bergen Riley away from not having a setter if yeah. if they don't have a backup. So that's what I think is like there's going to be a grad transfer or a you know kind of someone who's not going to be there a long time um, who who maybe comes in and 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 gives Nebraska some depth at the setter position. I think the same thing could happen at outside hitter honestly because Nebraska doesn't have I would say a, a whole deep collection of sure things there right now. Um, and I, you know, whether that's someone gets moved from left to right, or you bring in a right side hitter and Merritt Beeson's flexible. I don't know. Again, I'm just totally making this up, but you can never have too many. You heard Jalen say it. You can never have too many good quick twitch arms in the gym and you, you throw them all out there and you say Yahtzee and you see which one produces the most, which is just kind of how high level athletics works. And the other part of this too, going back to the libero conversation, defensive specialists, I mean, Nebraska has, will have four on their roster too. They will have someone in every single class too, which is not uncommon. I looked up a bunch of other uh, premier programs in the the country and they all have four DSs. What is unusual is for all four to be on scholarships. So I, like you mentioned, some of those may be on two-year scholarships or they may start Mm -hmm. out on NIL money before getting the scholarship down the road. So and um, one I, I, thing I we know, one thing we know about Nebraska's name, image, likeness operation for volleyball, it's very well supported. Yes. Um, there have been some high-profile local companies, well-known in-state corporations, who have have contributed money to Nebraska's NIL operation for volleyball. So I don't think anyone out there is struggling to to make rent or car payments. Um, you know, I, I don't want to diminish that if there is. Uh, so sorry about that. But, you know, I think Nebraska is well positioned to be an attractive place to to bring in some depth, even if, you know, you're not guaranteed a starting spot. So, again, the answer is we'll find out. I mean, we'll find out a lot of answers. You'll you'll know by like January. Well, you'll know before that the transfer portal opens uh, the day after the selection. So so portal opens on November 27th and we'll find out. I mean, people start going into that. Nebraska probably won't Mm -hmm. have anybody go into the portal until after their season's done. There's a very small window to get mm-hmm. in, so we'll find out in very short order. So my other other key piece of advice is don't worry about it. They'll figure it out. This is John Cook's problem. Um, we'll see if Nebraska lost yeah. a recruit already. I actually think that that helped out Nebraska's scholarship situation, losing a recruit. Mm-hmm. Yes, you never want to see an elite middle blocker prospect go somewhere else, especially yeah. Nebraska fans hate seeing them go to Texas. But we um, can say our name too. That was Aiden, Aiden Ames, Ames, who was committed to Nebraska, <laughs> and then. A couple of days before signing day announced that she was going to Texas. So Nebraska's three player recruiting class went down to a two player recruiting class. And you know what? The math just always seems to work out. And even before the transfer portal and NIL shaped it, Nebraska has never been shy about, you know, putting out the open for business sign um, as far as, you know, talking to transfers and trying to to fill gaps on their team. And, you know, when we Jalen in our conversation earlier, he's like, yeah, that's kind of our job is to go out and get the best players possible and make everyone compete because that's what that's what people do. And I know some people on the Internet get pretty salty about that. And I am not one of them because your job is to get as many talented players as possible. Yeah. Uh, should we look at row six? Move on. Preview the week ahead. Nebraska does not have this thing clinched yet in the Big Ten, but 
the competition level does seem to go down a bit uh, next week. Huskers host Michigan on the 17th. So let's see, what's that, Thursday? I don't Friday. have a calendar in front of me. The Huskers host Michigan Friday, Friday excuse me. And it's an 8 p.m. match, so you're going to stay up late. You're, you're going to have to put your kids to bed and miss the first couple sets, probably, or at least I will. Michigan, the Wolverines are um, have played a little bit better lately. They're seven and eighteen still overall, five and eleven in the Big Ten. However, they're on a bit of a hot streak, aren't they, Lincoln? They are. They have they have won five, four of the last four, five. four of the last five. They've beat Ohio State, Iowa, Maryland, and Rutgers. So again, two of those are decent wins for them. But given the way that they started the season, um, mm-hmm. that's good showing by them. And really uh, looking at them closer too, they I mean they dropped some close matches. Uh, against some of the top or t- top tier uh, Big Ten teams, but they started to turn things around. The key to me was when Morgan Burke, uh, Omaha Scott graduate, uh, she was inserted as the starting center on October 14th, and that really kind of uh, sparked their turnaround. She was mm-hmm. the starting center during all of those wins, and really kind of ignited their offense too. It also and uh, working with Aaron Virtue, uh, who works with the yeah. offense on the nat- U.S. national team, too, is also a benefit for her as well, too. So it's really yeah. good to see an Omaha product do some good things. You knew Michigan was not going to struggle for a long, long time with Aaron Virtue as, as their first year head coach. She's she's a really good coach, and I think she's going to recruit pretty well. And in a couple of years, they're going to be they're going to be a pretty decent team. Um, Iowa, however, not really a decent team. Uh, sorry, Hawkeyes. That's who the Huskers finish up with. Um, next week with a two o'clock Sunday match. Do I have that? They have to go Sunday. to Coralville to the the beautiful new um, little arena they've got up there. Extreme, extreme center. Well, Iowa Iowa is extremely bad this year. They are eight and twenty <laughs> overall, uh, winless in the Big Ten, zero and sixteen. Um, that could be the match if the Huskers uh, pull it out against Michigan at the Devaney Center on Friday. They would be playing Iowa for a chance to clinch at least a share of the Big Ten title on Sunday. Yeah, you mentioned Iowa's not good. They've only won six sets in 16 Big Ten matches, so they've struggled a little bit. Uh, the good news is the match is sold out, so I fully expect to see a lot of um, red in the stands, too. I mean, I don't maybe some yeah. Hawkeye fans, but... There uh, always they, is in that match. Like, it, this is the match that... it's the Iowa City's the closest Big Ten city to Lincoln, and so you just see a lot of fans travel over there. Yeah, so that'll that'll be an important match uh, for Nebraska. They can get their grap- grasp on and, again, clinch a share of it. There's still work to be done that following week mm-hmm. after Thanksgiving, but uh, to know that you have at least a share of it and kind of get to hang a banner for that, that's mm-hmm. uh, exciting for Nebraska, too. So. so thanks very much to Nebraska assistant Jalen Reyes for joining us today, and thank you for tuning in to Volleyball State, which at some point in the past week became the number one most listened to American volleyball podcast. I think that changes like on a week-to-week basis, so who knows? We could nosedive this week as well. We hope not, but thank you all so much for helping us grow the show, giving a platform to talk women's sports and volleyball and just kind of giving this sport the awesome, crazy fan base that it deserves. You want to follow the show on social media. You can find us on Twitter at volleyball pod and keep us accountable. Tell us what we got wrong and tell us what we need to do better. Also email the show uh, volleyball state at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter individually at by Jeff Sheldon. And I'm on Twitter at Lincoln underscore VB. I apologize for all the names that I butchered during this. So don't feel free. Don't, don't, don't need to email us the correct pronunciations of those names. We know we messed up, but names uh, you are can listen. Hard. Names are hard. That's why I'm a writer for the most part. Uh, but you can follow uh, us thanks to Podcast House Media. You can find other quality podcasts on their website, podcasthousemedia.com. Again, thanks for listening and keep living in the volleyball state.